This is World Beyond War, a new podcast. Welcome to episode 41 of the World Beyond War podcast. I'm Mark Elliott Stein. When I began doing these monthly interviews a few years ago, I had a lot of well-defined ideas about what each episode's topic and focus should be, and I thought the ideal format was a roundtable with a few guests. But I usually have so many questions to ask each guest that I often felt the hour went too fast, and I started to realize the real value of this podcast is not so much the topic, but just that we're a couple of peace activists sitting around talking, and that's what it should be. So today's interview with Maria Antonio Perez was originally planned as a roundtable panel about peace building and visual art, and Maria was one of the art and peace experts I'd found to talk about this topic. Once I saw Maria's online work, I knew I could have an exciting conversation just by talking to her. And that's what we're doing here today. So Maria, thank you for being here. Thank you, Mark, for this invitation. I'm super happy to be in this space today. You are an artist and a peace builder. Can you tell our listeners where you are calling in from and who you are and you know what connects you to the anti-war movement? Thank you, Mark. Yeah, well, today I'm connected from Medellin, Colombia. <laughs> Um, and yeah, it's a very interesting kind of mix in my professional and personal life. So basically I study graphic design coming from a very creative kind of career. And then thanks to volunteering and traveling the world. And as you say, questions and curiosity, I end up being involved in peace organizations and then learning about like development and peace building. And then basically understanding how those two professional paths can cross. So it was very interesting because it was more experiential kind of that I saw how creativity can mix with peace building and how it's a huge contribution. Are you trained as an artist? Was that your beginnings in life? Well, I was trained as a graphic designer, but all my life I've been like illustrating and designing. So more than more than artists, I call myself a creative um, because artists can be very broad kind of thing. But I'm a creative that use creativity for peace building. So I do like children's illustrations. I do graphic design and I do murals and I use art in different um, as different methodologies, actually. What sort of things do you do on an everyday basis that combines all of your interests? Well, the last few years, I've been working much more in development, uh, but let's say that creativity always plays a very important role. So I think like every time I use design, art, visual information, I think it's very useful. And in my daily life, I try to come up with creative approaches for information and for conflict resolution or for either like a very simple conversation. So I use graphic design, not necessarily just for like book production, but also in the daily life. I I do my graphic diaries. I do summarize information in graphic ways. And I think it helps a lot to understand information. What sorts of people do you interact with while doing this work? Well, right now I'm based in Colombia, but uh, for the last few years, I travel the world and I basically work with international NGOs as peace boat. And then I also work with women peacemakers in Cambodia. And I guess like uh, I've been interacting with a very, very international community. Also, thanks to my mm-hmm. experience as a Rotary Peace Fellow and recently as um, Asian Pacific Leadership Program Fellow as well. So I guess that I always like try to be surrounded by international minded people, even though my work right now, uh, I came back to Colombia to also kind of 
contributes to the country process. And right now I'm much more in a very Colombian NGO working in development. Yes. And I, I saw some of that on your social media on LinkedIn and try to understand what it is that this group does. It seems to have a, a regional or community-based focus. Would you say that that is in the realm of peace building as well? Let's say uh, the, the organization I'm currently working, it works for like a broader concept of development. I think peace building is needed everywhere. So mm -hmm. my work right now is working with communities who have been affected by natural disasters or climate change. Yes. So it's much more in that area. But I'm still very well connected with the Rotary Alumni Network. And also I'm an advisor for Women Peace Network, Women Peacemakers in Cambodia. And I'm also an advisor for another NGO in Colombia that is using art and peace. So I guess that us, that our curious minds are always connected to different projects And I guess development needs peace building. So I guess that everything is interconnected. I saw, again, checking out the, the organization you work for, I see the, the disasters that you're dealing with and the recovery efforts. And absolutely true, without a stable situation, without food and shelter and safety, you know, there, there is There is no civilization that, that can improve itself. And you would be surprised, Mark. Like, I never thought that, like, art, peace building and creativity was going to be so useful in my career because I need, and I'm mediating all the time. I'm basically mm. with conflict resolution in every single decision. And I think conflict resolution is used even in a personal basis, you know? Like, I've been Absolutely. using these in so many different levels and layers that I'm surprised that I use it every day in different ways. That is that is such a important statement. And in a way, that's that's kind of what I was kind of getting at when I asked that question, because I can imagine that it must be true. When you're dealing with global anti-war or conflict resolution issues, it changes the way you interact with the people you work with on a daily basis. You know, for instance, at, at World Beyond War, I certainly like to believe, and I'm sure I'm correct about this, we, we have issues that we need to deal with as an organization, but we deal with them peacefully, you know, and peaceably because we're well-trained in communication and in bridging gaps and in understanding that the other person's perspective might be different than yours, and that doesn't mean the other person is evil and needs to be destroyed. Um, so I think that's... And, and as you say, like, I think all of us who work in this field... I think we all will train with this sentence that said, conflict is not the issue, it's the way we solve it, you know? And we have like yes. conflict every day. So it's like, how do you bring conflict or how do you solve conflict in different ways? Like, as you say, it can be through communication, through arts, through conversations, through listening. So I guess we deal with conflict every day and in every job and in every country. So I guess this is a very useful tool. Yes. I love that statement that you just said. Conflict, is, let me see if I get this right. Conflict is not the problem, but is the way you resolve it. Is yeah. yeah, like we have conflicts every day, you know, like taking a decision is part of a conflict. You can have conflicts or harm, like taking a decision can take you, it's a personal conflict. The way you solve it is what creates like a very different reaction to it. So you're right. you're right. every day, it's like what makes it worse is the way you react to it. So I guess that's where we all play an important role. So true. And how many times have each of us found ourselves in con conflict situations that turn into productive situations because we were able to, you know, flick that switch of, hey, this doesn't have to be 
I fight to the death. Um, so, so great. Well, so I want to go back to, you mentioned Peace Boat as one of many organizations you work with. I don't know if you, you know, we gave Peace Boat an award, a War Abolishers Award. So um, we've heard them on this podcast as well. Um, that was a recording of, of their acceptance for, for our award. So I see that, you know, your world and, and our world intersects in many ways. It um, was a very well-deserved award, I have to say. I mean, it was a ple- it's a pleasure for Peaceboat to get it. Amazing. And also recognizing the work that Peaceboat has been doing for the last 39 years. Like, it's incredible what they've done. You're right. And I forgot that it was 39 years. I'm also wondering now, Maria, I attended the event. Were you at that event with Peaceboat? No, I wasn't. I, I mean, okay. yeah, I worked with Peaceboat until 2018 that I decided to come back home and work in Colombia. But I worked for them for almost 11 years. Can you put into words what Peaceboat is? Sure, yeah. Peaceboat is an international NGO with the main like office in Tokyo and New York. And they work for peace building. So everything is very interesting because they work with different platforms. They're working now also with climate change. But uh, initially, it started 30, 39 years ago in Japan by students who wanted to learn about the conflict in the area of Asia. And then they rented this small boat to see other neighbors and to get to learn from there. It's a one-to-one learning experience. And then they start growing. And now they're like these boats, this cruise ship that sails around the world for three months, visiting more than 25 different countries, meeting people in countries of conflict, but also having guest speakers on board. So it's like a Mm -hmm. global university traveling, learning by doing, learning by people, one-to-one experience, across boarding experiences, but also uh, they're also pushing the industry of the cruise ship industry to go much more green. So they're building an eco-ship, they're working for climate change, and now promoting as well like ocean conservation. So the work they've been doing is like amazing, and it deserves that prize and many more. Yes, so well said. Um, now, and travel uh, obviously is a big thing to you. You are... You are I think your Instagram account is Toto Traveler, right? Which means that's it. Toto Traveler. Does that mean all all traveler, or what does Toto mean? Well, Toto is my nickname. It's funny. Ah, so my okay. name is Maria Antonia, but everyone back home calls me Toto. T O T O, and that's why my adventures and my travel experience are Toto Traveler. That is wild. I mean, and it, you know, it sounds like a total traveler, which I think you are. Um, by the way, I, I, I envy you. I have, I have not done as much traveling in my life as I should have. Like many software developers, I sit in, I sit on a chair and work all day and don't travel much. But so you, you have been all over the world, I assume. Yeah, almost every, I mean, I would say it's never too late to start traveling, Mark. But yeah, it mm-hmm. does. Yes. It completely changed my life. And I guess uh, the way I travel is because I move by, I'm moved by curiosity. I mean, learning from other people, learning from other cultures, learning other languages. So I, I was lucky enough to travel with Peace Boat all around the world, like many, many places. And also working in projects in different countries, Sri Lanka, Cambodia, Thailand, and other countries. Can you tell me about some of the experiences you've had that helped illuminate, you know, your ideals during these travels? Sure, sure. There, so for me, there was a very moving experience when I was living in Sri Lanka. So I lived in Sri Lanka 
in 2003, and I was basically teaching design and creativity at a local university. And then the tsunami hit in Sri Lanka in 2004. Mm -hmm. And this is, this is a very turning point in my life because then I, I realized uh, I'm a creative person. I'm a designer. What can I do with my skills to help or to basically support the community here? And then I start working with communities using art. So I start a project called Lasanai Art, which was Lasanai means beautiful in Sinhalese, the local language. So mm -hmm. I start with a friend doing like activities for the kids at the camps and then like meeting different NGOs and meeting like super interesting people. And then I realized that there was a link between creativity and peace and development. And then I apply for peace boats. So it's basically first I started mm -hmm. with humanitarian aid and helping with the tsunami in Sri Lanka, then traveling around the world with peace boats. So those experiences kind of like open up my mind in many different ways, like cultures, perspective, methodologies, and also approaches. So I guess that being surrounded by international minded people creates awareness. And for me, it was like, wow, I need to learn more. And then I look for the scholarship to study in Thailand. And then like it opened much more because it's also like a broader community with Rotary Peace Fellows and then leadership. So it's like, one thing took me to another because I know the more we learn, the more questions we we have, no? Yes, yes. I'm I'm always interested in contrasting the very different experiences my guests have with my own. When you mentioned the um, the tsunami that hit Sri Lanka, I had mentioned that I don't travel much, but I do work with many people from Asia as a software developer. And I remember I was at work and a young friend of mine, a young man from the Andaman Islands um, was deeply distressed. He said his, you know, he, his hometown had just been wiped out by this tsunami. So I also had a direct experience of that tsunami. Um, and, you know, I'm thinking back to what you're saying about how you work with people dealing with natural disasters. It can be just so shocking to realize the many things, you know, man-made and natural things that can turn our worlds upside down. Um, it completely changes. I mean, definitely for me, it was very interesting because I never thought I was going to end up working also in humanitarian aid. And I end up there because the, I think life just gave me the chance to learn from that field. Mm -hmm. so I was in Sri Lanka, then I was in Japan. I had the chance to be in Chile, Haiti. And recently I was coordinating a reawakening project also here in Colombia with an island that was devastated by a hurricane. So mm. in working with these communities, you do need peace building, but it's also like different skills that you learn also with the community. So it's very yeah. interesting because I've learned so much about resilience and I learned so much about like, you know, like human power. I guess that we yeah. have the power to heal and to rebuild and how that also embraces and encourages communities to work together. So it's been like a very interesting journey and a learning experience. Yep. So how does um, visual art directly work in this way and you know i'm curious also are we talking about painting drawing sculpture clay what you know what what do you do in terms of art specifically in this yes. world well, i started using i mean i was an illustrator before but i started using arts with communities in sri lanka that was my first use of art with communities so i started doing kind of like working with psychiatrists as well but healing for understanding the trauma 
So in Sri Lanka, mm-hmm. I did my first children's book. It was called The Three Friends on the Big Wave. So how a children's book with illustrations can help kids heal their trauma. So we talked about how the tsunami was. So we printed this incredible book in four different languages. It helped me did fundraising also for projects in Sri Lanka. So we printed it in Japanese to get fundraising for libraries and art centers in Sri Lanka. And then I realized that visual information or visual art is important for any film art. You will be surprised. Like the way uh, I was recently, when I studied in Thailand, is like when you try to explain a conflict, a very difficult conflict to a community or even to a team, when you do graphic summary or graphic, you know, recording, it's so mm-hmm. easy to understand. I think people are, you know, the images are worth more than a thousand words. So I guess mm-hmm. that images and communication and sculptures and colors can help so much to communicate anything, a process, a feeling, history. So for me, uh, like art media or graphic media has been an incredible tool of communication. So I've used it for children's books. I've used it for workshops. I've done like creativity workshops. I used to teach creativity. And I've done so many interesting creative projects in Bolivia with Women Peacemaker, uh, with um, United for Change, and also actually in Rotary as well. So I do all kinds of graphics because it's a way of communicating things in a very easy, fun, and uh, understanding way. Mm-hmm. To what extent does this involve putting tools of creativity in the hands of the people you're working with, as opposed to you being the creative one and them responding to your work? I think it needs to be both ways. I mean, I think creativity doesn't come just from me understanding, but also I can encourage others to do it. I do feel that we are all creative. We all have that skill. We just need to develop it. And what I've seen in the communities I work with is that when you show them or when you use creative tools to communicate or to approach, they're very responsive because they don't feel the pressure of like very structured methodologies. I think mm. art is a, it's a bridge. And art can be a bridge of using your hands, your body, your voice, and it's using the individual capacity also to communicate. So even though I used to understand, I also use it to encourage community to use to to use it as a tool. So it's been incredible. And I think working with creativity with adults, children and youth has been like one of the most incredible experiences for me. I can imagine. I'm glad you said adults and children, because actually my next question is it's it's easier for people to understand the idea of like art art therapy or art I'm not sure if therapy is the right word, but you know, reaching people, communicating with with people through art when they are children, but I believe adults need it just as much. Um, and I, you know, I bet it's, I, I'm curious I, if children and adults, especially when dealing with trauma situations, you know, like a disaster recovery, if children and adults have very different or very similar ways of working with you, I think children are more curious. I think the more we grow up, we forgot, we forget how curious or how creative we can be. And I think sometimes it's a way, it's, it's a need just, we need to remind adults that we still have kids inside and that we're all creative and that we all, you know, like have the, the capacity to do it. I think the more, the, the older we grow, 
we get like shy, shy to express our feelings and we get all these biases and concepts in our mind that kids don't have. So I guess that kids have more freedom of expression. They feel that they're more open and more creative. But I do feel that when you remind adults to do it and when they see the power of using it, it's very interesting and it's a very great tool for healing. When I use it with adults, when I've done process with adults, they are even really amazed of their own results, which is incredible. <laughs> the capacity to, you know, like being surprised with the results. Who are the who are your favorite artists? Well, I've been working or I really admire a Colombian designer whose name is Catalina Estrada. Um, mm-hmm. Her work is incredible. She does like digital illustration, but I really like her work and I've worked with her in a few projects because she brings her natural and her colors, her Colombian colors. He, she brings her own culture into her work. So I do feel the way she expresses, the way she like, yeah, like the way she colors her images are incredible. So, and also she's an incredible woman. So I feel inspired working with her because yeah, we do, we both use like art for social transformation. So it's someone I really admire. Cool. Um, I will make sure I get the the name and I'll put it into the show notes so people can. can sure. I'll, I'll send you the name here. Catalina Estrada, yeah. amazing Colombian designer. I, I think I also remember, I don't have your Insta in front of me, but I think I saw some Frida Kahlo or. Um, oh yeah. Frida Kahlo is also amazing. I love her work. I mean, yeah, like I have different artists also in Japan, but like sometimes like what I've seen is not necessarily big artists, but I've seen the reactions of kids at the communities. And even though they're not called artists, because I do feel that sometimes it sounds like a very pretentious word, people are afraid of sending their artists because, yeah, but I think there are very creative people in the communities that you will be surprised. I, I totally agree. I, I I love amateur art, folk art, outsider art. I mean, you know, certainly the the idea that art should be a few privileged, well-trained geniuses showing in museums and millions of us look at the pictures. Nope, that's not art. It's got to be interactive. But that's that has I'm, changed a lot. You know, I, I do yeah. feel, Mark, that the the conception of artists and museums have changed and developed so much in the last few years. I mean, now we've seen all over the world how art is telling different stories. Art art is able to be at the museums telling about the conflict, about war, about peace, about justice. So I do feel that we're using much more art for social transformation these days. And I think it's a great advantage that we're using it these days. And you know what? Always has been. I'm, I'm, I'm more of a history freak probably than anything else, but I'm thinking about how Goya and Manet, you know, were expressing history through art. Think of think of Goya's famous paintings of of war scenes and you know executions in times of war. Um, these have resonated for centuries. Yes, these paintings, um, Picasso, the Guernica, completely. Um, yeah, you know, uh, well. I'm really glad that when I asked you, the first name you mentioned was a name I didn't know and somebody from from Colombia. Um, I have so many different things to ask you about, but I'm really interested in hearing from you about life in Colombia. And by the way, I should say again, you know, throwing in my personal side here, 
Um, my brother's wife is from Colombia. He has visited there a couple of times, including recently in the past year. Um, neither of them, I would say, are, are very politically oriented people. So when I want to know about, hey, tell me about, you know, elections and the, the long running civil war that hopefully is is not a war anymore. You know, tell me, I don't really get many answers. So I'm one reason I wanted to talk to you, Maria, is maybe you could help me and our listeners fill in our understanding of what it means to be Colombian, um, a, a, a country of great significance. Yeah. That's a great question. And I'm happy you ask it because sometimes people like there's so many biases as in ter- stereotypes of as Colombian and yes. what it means to be, it means to be someone that is really diverse and really like open to change. So I think we, I come from a country that is one of the most beautiful and diverse and incredible countries in the world. Like we are, we have an incredible geography and incredible weather that allow us to have everything here. Everything grows here. It's a beautiful yeah. country with more than 64 different indigenous groups. We're very diverse. We're rich in nature, incredible. But at the same time, because of that as well, and because of the economical differences that the region faces, uh, we have been, like, we lived for, like, a civil civil uh, conflict for more than 50 years. So imagine, like, a decade of conflict that has been, like, basically damaging the image but also affecting so much the people here. So for more than 50 years, Colombia suffered from a conflict war, uh, for, for conflict, for a civic war. And it was 50 years with different guerrilla groups that were also moved by political interests, economical interests, and by like social differences. So after many years, in 2016, the government finally uh, signed a peace agreement, which was very interesting because it was a very innovative approach and very interesting key points and very interesting tools for implementation. But that was signed in 2016. So I guess that we all understand that the peace agreements War doesn't end from one day to another. And it's a process. We all understand that peace is a process that we're all part of it. So it's going to take some time. I'm not saying we're in the most peaceful country now, but we've done like very interesting steps. Right now, the country, we just finished, uh, we just elected a new president this year. And he has a challenge of continue with the implementation, with the implementation of the peace accord. So basically, there are other groups, armed groups that are under conversations for another for other agreements. The first agreement was with FARC, one of the guerrilla groups, and basically the conditions for the peace agreement was also like rural development, political participation, and also understanding the victims' perspective. We have many victims in the country. I think most of the people here have been victims somehow. Mm. And um, the peace agreement created really interesting ways of addressing that issue. So we have the Truth Commission and a special jurisdiction for peace. And now these things, after a few years, I mean, after 2016, they are finishing some processes and under and like starting others. So transitional justice is a very important uh, part of it. Art has played a very important part of it. Now that really? you're asking me about it. Yeah, because... Um, one of the most interesting things about the agreement was the Truth Commission. And the Truth Commission was understanding all the different parts of the conflict. So 
They talked with victims, with perpetrators, with militaries, with public sector, with private sector. So I guess the Truth Commission was a commission created to understand the voices of the conflict. And art played a huge role there because art, music, paint, a sculpture tells a story, it tells part of the conflict. And they use it also for the final report. So Colombians are very artistic. And I think that's why I'm also here. It's like, we're very creative. We're very expressive as a culture, you know? So I think we express a lot through art. So art expresses mm -hmm. pain, explains uh, history, explains your perspective, and explains also conflict and peace. So right now, Colombia is in a very interesting transition with so many expectations because everyone is waiting to see if the new how the new government is going to implement the peace agreement and how it's going to be seen in the different territories that have been more affected. I'm so interested in so many different things you just said. Just on the on the sort of practical newsy part of it, you mentioned the new president of Gustavo Petro, is that right? Yeah. Um, and I'm interested that you are describing his election as sort of continuity with the 2016 peace process. Is that right? Like it's sort of, you're, you're not seeing it as a break from the past, but as a continuity with a, a peace process. Is that right? Yeah. Right now, he's planning to continue on paper. On paper, mm -hmm. everything sounds great. We just need to see how the new government is really going to implement it. Because I think in the speech, and we know this everywhere in the world, like peace sells, you know, like it's a political tool. But how you implement and how do you take these uh, positions into reality? I think that's the challenge right now. It's like I think there's political will. Now we need to see political action. So you're you're very good at, qu at quotable lines. Peace sells. That's very interesting. Now I believe you in Colombia, which has known so much war, which has known civil war. Here in the United States of America. I hate to say, sometimes I feel like hate sells. You know, we had Trump as president for, for four years and hate definitely sells here. Maybe that's because we don't know how bitter and vicious civil war is. Well, I do feel, and I'm sorry to disappoint you about this, but peace sells, <laughs> but like fear sells more. Yes. So I yes. think that, I mean, for us, yes. peace sells because this is the way we see it. People want to see peace, but I think... People are using fear and that sells much more and war yeah. sells more and much more because it's a business, you know? Let me throw another one in. Resentment sells. Sure. You know, oh, I, I feel like my my father was able to go to a certain college, but now I can't because ever, more people, you know, have the right to be admitted. I'm resentful. You know, now I hate people. Not me, of course, you know, but that, that sort of resentment is very popular as well. But uh, again, I think that a big difference between my very troubled society here in the United States, and we are not doing well here in the United States, I'd say we're doing very badly as a culture here. The difference is we have not, we have not been actually killing each other on the streets for the past 50 years. And, you know, I don't, I also don't want to profile what it, what it, the Colombian civil war is like, because like I said, I have, you know, I have more than one personal connection inside Colombia. Um, and I don't hear a lot about war in everyday life. So can you tell me what does it mean when you say there's been conflict, 
you know, there's been, you know, is it a civil war? Is that the right word to use? Um, and is that war over? These are the sorts of things that I'd love to know. Yeah, well, it's interesting that you asked me that because, like, we do feel the conflict. I mean, it's called it's insecurity. It's about the conditions that you have to have, like, a safety life, what creates a conflict. And I guess the most affected areas in Colombia have been the rural areas. So it's mm. really... It's not fair for me to say that from a city where I have everything yes. comfortable environment, but I work with victims from the conflict and I've seen it in the territories. So we have different issues with the conflict here. It's about the illegal economies that create, of course, narco-traffic, insecurity. And that doesn't happen necessarily in the big cities. It happens in really remote areas and the rural areas. And it's really affect, and it's still affecting, you know, indigenous communities, Afro-descendant communities, because those communities are the ones that have been displaced for the military groups, for the violence, or for the illegal crops. So it's like the conflict is still happening. It's like war doesn't end, or the conflict doesn't end because you sign an agreement. It needs to come up with a cultural change. And that's going to take years. I mean, the conflict is going to happen and it's going to be maybe decreasing, decreasing, even though these days we see like there are some things happening in the territories because the negotiation happened just with one group and there are different groups in the country. So I think negotiations need to still need to continue and uh, implementation as well, because like as long as we are a country and a continent with so many economical disparities, conflict is going to affect us. So yes. we need to basically toggle, you need to work in the main reason of conflict, which is economical disparities. Thank you for explaining that. And would you say that geography, you know, is very influential in terms of... Yeah, completely. Because as I said, like I, I think most of the population here lives in rural communities. I think it's almost 80%. Most of the communities live from informal economies. Okay? Right. There's Colombia right. is one of the most despair like despair countries in the continent because mm-hmm. of economical differences. And wow. apart from that, in our land everything grows. So if you think about like offering a farmer growing illegal crops or like growing potatoes, the prices will never make a living. So understanding what the soil gave us as an opportunity and what economical needs we have, like we need to understand the conflict or the needs from the community from a very different perspective. It's not about being good or being bad or doing good or 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 doing bad. It's understanding what brought us there. And as long as there's like drug consumption in the world, like there's going to be production because it's a chain of need, you know? Right, right. When you were originally answering this question, you mentioned that there are victims who, who need, you know, that who are resolving their, the crises that they've been through, through a truth commission. I think those are the words you used. Tell me, who are the victims? What What do you mean by victims? And what does it, victims of what? My God, there are so many victims. It's like yeah. everyone okay. here, like there was a time where there still is, you know, a time. Like people with, were murdered. We call them false positive people in the conflict. These um, uh, disappearance, forced disappearance. 
by the government, by also illegal groups. So we have many, many victims and what they are looking for and what the Truth Commission is looking for is the truth. Who did what, why they did it, where are their bodies, like what was the uh, reason. So I think it's understanding, I think for us as a humanity and for us as a country or us as individual, knowing the truth of what happened in a conflict or a situation is the first way to heal the wounds. Yes, so yes. I think that's what the True Commission is doing is because there are many testimonies of who who, who killed who, where, what was the context, what was the reason, different armed groups. And what the Truth Commission did, it was for more than five years, they brought together everyone's testimonies. And they just uh, published recently, like one month ago, the final report. And the final report is what really happened in Colombia during those 50 years. We need to wow. do that in order to be able to not go back to that again. It's like the no repetition. So no repetition is understanding the past to prevent the future. Wow. I Again, I'm so glad you're telling me this, Maria, and I'm so glad I, I, I sensed that I would want to spend a whole hour talking to you um, because I, I'm not... I can read a whole lot of articles about Colombia, but never hear quite those types of words, you know, on a human level that, that what we're talking about is communities, families, you know, people trying to live normal lives who are, who, who are unable to because of this situation. I also want to ask, you know, I'm interested that you say 50 years doing my, research as i do i see that in 1948 which is more than 50 years ago there was a, a assassination of what seemed to be a stabilizing and democratic leader um and that that i'm talking about i i don't know the details i'm sure you know more far more about this than me but that this assassination in 1948 was considered the beginning of a long period of conflict so that goes back more than 50 years. Is there a difference between the 50 that you're talking about and the like 70 something that I'm talking about years? Yeah, you're talking about the murder of Jorge Elias and Gaitan, who was yes. murdered in 1948. So basically he was he was running for president and everyone really liked him and he was murdered. And that was the beginning of a very strong conflict because one of the main reasons of the Colombian conflict is basically we are so divided, like right. left again, left again, right, black. As the world white. has been. I mean, yeah. you're, in other words, yeah, communist versus capitalist, so-called, you know, these words are thrown around. I don't really think it's the ideologies that are the issue. As and much I think as the that's human part theory. of the conflict yes. that we're like the communities are so polarized right now. It's not black and white. I think we understand we need to understand the grays in between. And that's what I'm happy that you also ask the question and that you're curious about Colombia, because I think in Colombia, everyone thinks it's about just the drug issues or, you know, but understanding why that happens is that's what it's important. Why why we have illegal economies because there's that disparity, and understanding that we can change the conceptions of those countries, understanding their history. You you're right. It's more than fifty years. The conflict was measured. I mean, for the peace agreement, we talked about like 
50 years. But of course, the conflict comes from before. Even even if you think about it, I don't want to go all the way back, but if you think about it, Colombia was colonized by the Spanish. And right. when we were colonized, how we were colonized? Violence. You know, we were forced to leave our beliefs as indigenous communities. We were forced to have a different language. So basically, the history of the world is based also in colonization and violence. Yes. So we're kind of repeating, repeating some of those processes, of course, in different ways. But I think most of the countries have conflict in their history. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, look, look, first of all, the country's name is Colombia, honoring uh, or, you know, so-called honoring Christopher Columbus. But you were also the Bol- you were the original Grand Colombia from Simón Bolivar, right? Yeah. Was, Colombia. Was, yeah. I mean, yeah, this was the original Bolivarian Bolivarian um, area, Bolivarian, yeah, it was, and it was very interesting because it was a whole continent. So, Venezuela, Panama, we were all one country, uh, but that's also the history of different continents, you know, like yes. the states so, yeah. as well. And now we're getting more and more divided. But I think, yeah, understanding where we're coming from, I think, and, and going back to the same question about like, I think killing a leader that represents the future is like killing the hope. So I think when, yeah. when when Gaetan was murdered, it was kind of like killing the hope and it started like facing conflict against two different uh, political groups. And also, I think killing the democratic process, because, you know, now here I'm going to compare it to 1953 in Iran, where Mohammad Mashadak was was overthrown. Similarly, you know, five years later, but uh a moderately progressive, not extremist, but moderately progressive sort of socialist oriented leader is thrown out of office by foreign meddlers, including, you know, United States and and many European powers that doesn't only remove a a leader, it removes democracy. It It means there is no democracy. We're going now here also in Colombia is that we're coming from a very different political party now to a more socialist party. So it's also how how we understand democracy. Democracy, I mean, this president was chosen in a democratic way. So we're, what it says about, about having, I'm, I'm not having a political position here, but it shows is like people want a change and we hope to see a change. But uh, sometimes like most of these changes just end up being a political speech how do you yes. get this into action? So I think that's part of the challenge that we have now with the government. I mean, it's been in place just a few months. So there's right now, there's a lot of expectations. Um, and I guess that we're, that's what we're going to be living in the next few months. Like many, many expectations of what's going to happen. Um, some people, I mean, the country is very, very, very divided right now about that. I, I hear you. So here, here I am speaking from New York City in a country that's very, very, very divided, speaking to you in, in Colombia in a country that's very, very, very divided um, to, you know, North and South America seem to have this in common. Um, I would say, you know, not only Colombia is defined by its history here in the United States. I I believe we are still divided by the legacy of the Civil War. You know, that racism is still um, very much a wedge issue here 
And when when we see, you know, a policeman kill George Floyd, many people understood that in the context of the civil war that was never healed from the 1860s. So, you know, I'm curious, I think we've already sort of discussed it. Here in the United States, I would say we're not really so much politically divided along class lines. We are divided along racial lines and we're very much divided along cultural lines. What music do you listen to? What clothes do you wear? That defines your politics here. And people are ready to kill each other and, you know, storm the Capitol and deny each other basic rights over divisions that are really so trivially cultural. Again, I think we have not suffered as much as 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 you your country has through a civil war. So how would you characterize what divides Colombians? You know, what what is that divide? Well, right now, I mean, you're talking to a stubborn optimist. So sometimes, <laughs> like, instead of asking, I mean, yeah, what divide us, but what also bring us together? Yeah, so That's great. Go for that one. Great. <laughs> I guess we are divided by economical differences. I mean, the disparities mm. in these, and not necessarily just Colombia, but I think in the continent, economical disparities are huge like it's it's incredible and i think we are divided by the chance of opportunities definitely opportunities definitely divide us all the time opportunities to participate opportunities to talk opportunities to be part of so i think that's what really divide us but what Mm -hmm. also bring us together and that's what i want to much like focus much more What brings us together is building a better country. I do feel that Colombians are very proud of their country. We're very nationalist in a sense. That can be good or bad. But I think in a sense, Colombians are very resilient. So what brings us together is the resilience to see a better country. And right now, I do feel that there's not many people with hopes, but there's others like me working really hard for the country. So I prefer to to think about those who are doing small efforts to build a better country and a better like world in a sense. And I don't think we necessarily need to change the world. We just need to transform small realities. So I think everything starts with a personal change, like how Mm -hmm. are you contributing in a small scale? And I'm sure that if you do that in a small scale, that everything replicates. So like, talking good about others, contributing to peace can be something contributing to peace to your neighbors, you know, with your family. That's the best beginning. Otherwise, it's impossible to see a a change in the world if you don't have it in your closest network. Wow. Great answer. Great answer. You could run for office, Maria. (laughs) I think I can do more things from the NGO world than from the public sector. Well, let, let's, you know, we have 10 minutes left. Um, let's go from the global to the personal now. Um, who, who are you and why did you find yourself in this role? In other words, what made you be the unusual person who devotes her life, you know, to being concerned with the well-being of communities and others? Mm-hmm. How did that happen? Well, I guess it's a cultural thing, but also I grew up in a family that was very conscious about the surroundings. So I think um, I was very lucky. My parents gave me education. I didn't grow up with like bigger needs. 
But my parents also raised us, raised us really aware about the world and about the country. So I was able to volunteer and to see the country since I was a little. My parents took us everywhere in the country, so we saw the country. And by traveling and by seeing those things, I understand also my purpose. So my parents mm-hmm. and my family were also coming from a creative side, but they were also very humble and very always helping others. So I guess that was like I learning in my DNA, mm-hmm. also learning from the country and growing up in a country where you're, you grew, I mean, I grew up with fear as well. Like I grew up in a country that was been going in a conflict. So I grew up being resilient. I grew up trying to find or taking decisions that took me to safe and happy places as well. So I guess I grew up being very firm in my decisions of what I wanted. My parents always encouraged me to follow my heart and my instincts. So I always thought that I was moved by curiosity and learning and being with communities. So I think that took me to a very international journey. And that international journey also took me to a personal journey. So I guess right now I am in a point that I want to contribute. I want to be surrounded by people with purpose. I want to be part of a community that is basically supporting the country or the world. And I want to be surrounded and I need to be in environments of people questioning, questioning everything. I think questioning the way we live, questioning what we do is a way of working every time about yourself in your inner person, but also questioning what is around and what you can change. So I think that's that's what I'm trying to do right now. I'm super curious. I, I'm a nerd. I love learning. I love being mm-hmm. in international communities. And I'm here in this position for this NGO called Antioquia Presente because I also think that as a local organization in Colombia, I can contribute about a lot about reestablishing the conditions of those who have lost everything. So I'm in a, a position where I can contribute, and I think that's my purpose in life, contribute somehow. Often when people use the term NGO, just in case anyone doesn't know, non-governmental organization, also called a nonprofit, you know, basically, typically a humanitarian organization that tries to do things that governments don't do to help people. I guess that's why they're called non-governmental. But um, was there a moment in your life when you when something happened that suddenly made you realize you were going to be doing this type of work? Um, yeah, in Sri Lanka. I think in ah, Sri Lanka, okay. yeah, I think in Sri Lanka, I everything connected. You know, when you connect the dots, it's like, I always thought like, oh, I love design. I love illustrating. I love art. I love traveling. I love studying and I love academics. And then the tsunami happened as, oh, and I, lo- I love people, I love community, I love helping. It's how do you bring those things together? And at the beginning, it was really hard for me to imagine that as a graphic designer, I could end up in this field. But I think this is where an imagination and when art plays a very important role, the capacity to imagine and to create what you want. So that's when all the dots came together, everything connected. And then I realized, well, I can do my... I can be myself doing the things I know, uh, doing the things I'm passionate about, and also transforming or contributing somehow. So I think Sri Lanka was a very important turning point. And then it also connected me with different organizations around the world. And when 
amazing people. And then they also gave me the confidence to say, oh, I mm-hmm. contribute a lot back home. So it gave me the confidence to say, right. do so many things back home. So yeah, it was it was a turning point in my life. Confidence is no small thing. You know, I'm sure it comes from seeing it on the faces of people you're working with that, oh, what I'm doing actually makes sense, you know? And I think everybody who in any way is part of the worldwide community of of peace builders and anti-war activists, we all do so many different things, but we all have to find our own way into this world that nobody invites us to. Nobody says, hey, Maria, hey, Mark, why don't you, you know, why don't you try to make a living and spend your life trying to do the impossible and bring peace to a world that has only known war? Um, you know, not, and I'm an optimist like you. I also think we will succeed. But I hope that people who listen to this hear your voice and my voice and know you can devote your life to this and have a life. You know, you don't, you don't, you, you don't have to, give up a life in order to devote your life to, to peace building. Um, and I always get asked that question. It's like, Maria, how do you do to travel, to work, to do this amazing work? And always, they always ask me. So, mm-hmm. well, nobody comes and knocks in my door and say, hey, Maria, do you want to travel the world? It's like, as I say, you need to create the opportunities that you feel that you want to do. I think, I mean, happiness is a decision. So I guess that you just need to choose the things that make you happy, that make you fulfill your needs, but also keep you moving. So I guess that everything can be created. And I mean, the opportunities are there. The world is so full of needs that whatever you do, even in a small scale, I'm sure it's going to contribute. That is so for sure. That's so for sure. Yep. Well, um, one last little thing is I always like to include some type of music um, at the end of an episode. So what's some music that is meaningful to you right now that you might think of in terms of reflecting the conversations that we're having? Wow, you got me out of base. <laughs> I know. And I, I don't ask, my que- you know, you know, I didn't ask any of my questions in advance because it's more fun to make you think in real time. But. Sure, sure. I mean, if, if you ask me that question, I can list um, I mean, I always, maybe I just, I'm just going to mention like a very famous Colombian artist that I was in his concert last week. Uh, his name oh, is okay. Carlos Vives. Carlos Vives. Okay. I can send it to you. Yeah. And when, when it comes to my mind is like during his concert, he was talking about the amazing biodiversity that we have in the country, but also oh, wow. the importance of we are uh, people from the water. We are surrounded by water in Colombia. Water is an issue that brings also disasters, but also brings life. So I think his music, and when I was thinking in his concert, is like, wow, how amazing that these, his music is creating awareness about the country we lived in. So yeah, Carlos Vives, and it's amazing to dance with. So I think dancing, nice. dancing is important in my life, joy as well. So I think Carlos Vives is someone I just relate because, yeah, his concert was last week and it brought me so much joy. And I think I'm so proud of my country and that he is a a singer from Colombia that, yeah, definitely he will be someone I will recommend you, everyone here to hear. So cool. Uh, you know, that, especially that you went to his concert last week. By the way, I'm a, I'm a go to concerts like at least once a week. Um, wow. I live in New York City. Why shouldn't I? It's just like incredible. Like 
it just makes you want to dance, Mark. Mm. So you end up, you might end up, or everyone that is hearing us today might end up dancing. And I think dancing is also part of joy. You just need to feel the music, whatever. Yeah. We don't talk about dancing much on this podcast. You so should. thank you for Dancing, dancing helps everything helps your soul helps your body helps your mind and it just kind of yeah. like frees so much energy whatever keeps us in this game whatever keeps us you know moving along maria it has been wonderful to talk to you um we started with the topic of art but i do think you really helped fill in for me a lot of answers to questions i've been wondering about what it's like to live in colombia which is a nation of contradictions you know that's a great you title know? yeah, yeah. we are a nation of contradictions yeah yes True. In a world of contradictions. In a world of contradictions. <laughs> Thank you so much, Maria. It's been wonderful to talk to you. Thank you for the space. I think it was a great conversation. It kind of flowed very natural. I feel very comfortable. Mm-hmm. Thanks for the questions and for checking the information before. I think that yeah. I think what you did shows respect because it's like understanding Colombia before even asking. I think it's is what all we should do. Like not having mm-hmm. the biases in our mind, just open up to information from a from a very trustful source. So thank you. Yeah, yeah, it's been a pleasure to check what I can read on Wikipedia. You know, with a with the real understanding of somebody who lives there. So thank you, awesome. and thank you for all you do, Maria. It's awesome. Los Angeles, for listening to today's podcast. Our podcast is now available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Don't forget to give us a rating. Visit worldbeyondwar.org to learn more about the social and environmental impacts of the war machine and get involved in the movement for a world beyond war.